Welcome everyone to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com because you won't find us on Google or Facebook. We respect your privacy and will continue to fight the Silicon Valley censorship. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by Pam Popper, who is the president of the Wellness Forum Health, which plays a, a big role in what she's doing to preserve our country's freedoms and in building a really powerful community, which is one of the most important components, I believe, in successful intervention in this pandemic. So uh, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. I was saying before we started, it's high time we met. We've been doing some of the same things for a long time, pursuing some of the same objectives. And uh, so I try to always look at the silver lining in situations and this COVID thing has brought some people together who probably should know each other better. And so thank you. Now you're welcome. Thank you for everything you're doing. So uh, as you mentioned, we have similar interests with respect to educating the, the public about the fundamentals of what allows the human body to stay healthy. And once you're doing that, you stay healthy and remain healthy and you avoid disease. It's like I kind of like liken health uh, as light. And when you have light and you spread in a dark room, there is no darkness and this darkness would be the disease. So it's just that my goal has always been since, since I went into to, to health is to help people understand how to engage in practices to optimize that. And that's what we've been done, doing for a long time. And fortunately it came along the, uh, the intervention that would help people reap the benefits of being healthy and, and uh, prevent getting, uh, coming down with some of these symptoms or even dying from this. So obviously there's a lot of peripheral issues. Why don't you uh, discuss your background and uh, what got you into uh, the pandemic? And because you were, you wrote a book early on, I think about it, about it too. And, and COVID operation. Yeah, we were the first, uh, my, my co-author Shane Pryor and I were the first to, um, uh, write a book, I think, that showed and revealed everything that happened. But the background on the situation is my company is about 27 years old, Wellness Form Health. And our niche, if you will, is informed medical decision making. In other words, we don't tell people what to do. Our thing is if people would learn how to make decisions about health, the way they make decisions about cars and houses and retirement accounts and other things that are important to them, where they um, of course, emergency, we would separate that out. But when a, an intervention or a preventive strategy or whatever it is is suggested to you, you look into it, you ask questions, you do some research, and, um, and then you make an informed decision. Now, the medical profession has become the Wild West, as you know, medical journals are filled with inaccurate information. So we added 
something to that, which was some rules for filtering evidence. And um, we teach people the rules. And the rules are things like conflicts of interest have to be considered. We have to understand the difference between a correlation and a cause and effect relationship, something that is statistically significant, but clinically meaningless. And I won't go through all the rules, but you get the idea that you have to you have to, if you're looking at a lot of information, you have to filter it based on rules, just like you have to play football based on rules. You can't just run up and down the field and throw the football around, right? So um, in 27 years, I've been talking about um, the problems in healthcare, which is nobody abides by any rules. There isn't any informed decision-making. Doctors tell people to do things and they say, okay, that's called consenting. That's not consenting at all, in my opinion. And, um, and so a lot of my research really was based on uh, revealed and the books that I wrote revealed the incompetence of big medicine, big food, big pharma, um, some of the criminal intentions that this isn't new, it's just a bigger uh, version of it. And, um, and so um, I think I posted the first video. It was early March, like the second week in March of 2020. I knew what this was because I had covered fake pandemics in the past. There was one in the 1950s, there was one in the in, uh, uh, 1970s, another one in 2009. These are just the big ones that got a lot of attention. Um, so I knew what this was. I do some business in China. I knew what they were up to. So I put out this very controversial, I didn't think it was gonna be controversial, it's just reporting the news, which I had done on video for twice a week for as, as soon as video internet stuff started happening. So I put out this video and um, instead of the usual, you know, few dozen responses, I got 3,500 responses to this video and they included death threats and hysteria and you're going to be responsible for killing people in the whole nine yards. And I thought, wow, this is just something else. So that's how this all started. And as it, uh, I wish I could tell people, I wish I could tell you that I was wrong. But if you go back and watch that original video, I said that this took place in China, they did it deliberately, that they had reasons and motivations for doing this, that this was a fake pandemic and the end game was forced vaccination. It was a 15 minute video, but that was the bottom line. And unfortunately, it turned out to all be true. We should have been wrong about it. So as this went on, um, I just kept doing more and more research, posting more and more videos. And at some point in time, probably late spring, early summer, I realized the breadth and depth of this whole thing and knew that they were never gonna stop and we had to do something about it. And that's when we formed Make Americans Free Again. So that kind of brings us from the very beginning, which was actually 27 years ago, uh, to what was the catalyst for all of this. Great, thanks for that background. So one of the uh, actions that your organization is noted for is, is filing lawsuits <laughs> to fight the tyranny. So I'm wondering if you could describe that process and give us an update on uh, the results of the litigation. Yeah, so um, when we started Make Americans Free Again, it was all about the lawsuits. It turned into something else in addition to that, which we can talk about. But um, I realized that we have two, we have three branches of government and the executive branch with very few exceptions, for example, Ron DeSantis in Florida, They've gone completely rogue and they not now operate, and I'm the person who coined this term that everybody uses now, emperors and empresses of the rulers over their people, right? So there, you can't deal with those people. The legislatures up until recently have been fairly useless. And the only reason they're doing anything now is really to protect themselves, in my opinion, not, not because they're looking out for people. So you have one branch of government left, which is the courts. So we are going to have to use that in order to A, get our freedoms back and 
and B, go after these people for what they did, which is committing fraud and hurting and killing people. So um, the first thing that happened, and, and I think this is an important thing to, to talk about because people are not very confident in the courts, all right? So all these lawsuits were being filed early summer last year, and it's a, they were using a strategy I call hurry up and file. Like, we're not going to think through what we're doing. There's no strategy to it. We're just mad as hell, and we're just going to go file something in court tomorrow. It's a very ill-advised strategy. So there were hundreds and hundreds, and eventually, I think today, there are 6,000 failed lawsuits that have been filed. And so people say, see, you can't win in court. Yeah, you can. And we've been winning in court. And I'll tell you how in a minute. But but you have to, it is better to stop and think and do something that less activity, more deliberately performed is a better idea. So interestingly enough, I, I heard from this lawyer in Florida who had made the same observation as me, this hurry up and file strategy isn't working. So why don't we look at these lawsuits and figure out what they're doing wrong? And, um, and this is very, very important for anybody listening to this who just wants to hurry up and file. So what people were doing was filing a lawsuit against the government saying, you are violating our constitutional rights. And you know what the government would say? Oh, we know we are, but we don't have any choice because it's an emergency, right? So, um, and then the judge would rule in the government's favor. So we filed the very first lawsuit in Ohio accusing our governor of fraud. We said there is no emergency. You declared this, this fraudulently, and therefore all the actions that you've taken are, are not warranted. And um, the thing that I think people don't realize, um, not living in Ohio, we were the model state. Um, people think it's California, it's New York. We were the first to shut down, first to close the schools, first to cancel events, first to, to uh, close bars and restaurants. So why is that? because the criminals behind this needed a very popular conservative governor, governor who could do well on Fox and CNBC and Amazon. So every um, Sunday, our little criminal was the toast of the Washington shows, right? He was so responsible taking care of his people. All right, so by the time we filed our lawsuit on August 31st, we, we knew when the second shutdown was coming. By this point in time, we had some intelligence coming from government employees and that sort of thing. We never got locked down a second time. We won when we filed because we avoided the second lockdown. And I think that the people behind this told um, the Emperor DeWine, let this alone. You, you can't irritate, do something that would make this judge just snap his fingers and say, order discovery right now. So we didn't get a shutdown. And the other thing that happened is there was virtually no enforcement of the restrictions that were left in terms of gathering limits and that sort of thing. We actually tried to get people arrested for things like staying out past curfew and some of that kind of stuff. We, we were unsuccessful in, get in, in, in being able to uh, prod them into taking action. And I think it was because of that lawsuit. That's the only explanation I have because they sure are enforcing it like crazy in New York. Look at the police going in and taking people out of Burger King. So, um, so because of that, we thought, okay, this is a good strategy. So we started doing more of it. We filed several lawsuits in several states. And, um, and for those people who don't have confidence in the court, first of all, look at some of the lawsuits that have been filed. They're bad ones. They should have been thrown out of court. If I was the judge, I would throw them out too. Because the judge can't make law. The judge has to go with what the law says, right? So the second thing is that there are bad judges in bad courts, but our strategy has been to file and file and file and file and file with a coordinated legal team because um, the most important thing they want to avoid, and we've seen this in every lawsuit, they want to avoid discovery. 
because discovery is where we get to depose Mr. Fauci. Discovery is where the CDC has to give us the documents and all that sort of thing. I don't need them 36 times. I need them one time and then the whole legal team gets them, right? So one judge in the United States of America, someplace is going to give us discovery. I can't talk about where, but we think that's in the process of happening right now. In one good, of news. good news, good news. Yeah, they're good, good news. And we've won some too. We represent the New York City police. We won an injunction till trial on the vaccine mandate. Our attorney in Florida won a lawsuit against the uh, city of Gainesville for Vaxxer Terminate. Um, and again, we have seen changes in behavior as a result of filing. We put the criminals on notice that now judges are watching. So everything you do is subject to being hauled back into court and saying, see, look at what these people are doing. So we've had, um, we've actually had the emergency declaration lifted. Ohio was one of the first to say we're done. And that was last summer, beginning of summer. And it was not planned. It was two days before we were due back in court. And uh, the emperor did a little press conference and said, go free, my people. And this is after he had canceled the Ohio State Fair. It was virtual. A million people come to it every year. Canceled all the downtown big events. So he was not planning to lift the emergency. But two days before we were due back in court, somebody told him, listen, you got to make this go away. All right. So so that's where we are in the lawsuits. We're getting ready for some really wonderful first of the year surprises for the criminals in charge. Um, so stay tuned. I'll be making announcements and we think that they will be delighted to meet some new attorneys we have uh, put on um, uh, on our uh, team and uh, some of the wonderful uh, surprises they plan to file in court soon. Oh, great. I thought one of your earlier strategies was to address the legality of issuing emergencies orders or mm-hmm. and so can you update on that, that first of all confirm that, that was the case and if you did this yeah. on a state-by-state basis and what was the outcome of those suits yeah well that's what i just talked about we, we challenged oh the so that's order. what it was yeah okay. that's what it was so now, not, now they have to prove that it's an emergency and so what happened it's happened in every state they have and at one point in time our lead attorney tom renz actually said Every time we're in court, you're trying to avoid giving us documents. And he says, it seems to me that the fastest way to make this go away and prove you're right is to produce the documents proving you're right. And I can only think of one reason. And he even said one time, you could have a press conference of all, I mean, the one that would make history in the United States by being the first group to prove that there actually is an emergency. And then you could point fingers at us. You could tell us that we were irresponsible and bringing this lawsuit, you could discredit everybody that we're working with, right? I, I mean, it would happen in, in 45 minutes in a hearing, right? Mm-hmm. So the only reason, and this is Tom talking, that I can think of that you wouldn't show up with these documents and this evidence is you don't have it and you really are committing fraud. And so, um, so the, the entire time, you know, not one time has the government come back in any of our cases and proved that they were justified in what they were doing. They spend all their energy on 12B motions to have them thrown out and all this kind of stuff. And, and uh, so that creates a lot of work for our legal team to do, but, um, but they have not one time produced a single document saying, we're right, here's why, so you people should go away. And I think that, um, I think that, that speaks volumes in and of itself. You know, it's been, our first lawsuit was filed August 31st. They have had a year and a half to come up with something to make us go away, and they've been unable to do it. So this strategy was implemented at state level? Well, we filed in federal court, but you have to go state by state. And okay. um, 
we have a couple of cases that are that are in federal court, just went straight to federal court, not state related. But uh, we started here because this is where we live. I mean, I hate to be selfish, but where I live is where I wanted this to get better. And the other thing is I knew that what state, what state is it would be easier for us to do some of the things that we're doing. Yeah. What state do you live in? I'm in Ohio. Ohio. OK, so yeah. how many other states have you been successful with the, the strategy? Well, we've uh, we've we've filed in Hawaii. We filed cases, various types of cases in New York, uh, and I would say we've been successful in New York, um, even though New York is in terrible shape. Um, we have uh, we have a lawsuit about vax passports there. We have a mask in the schools lawsuit. We have um, that we represent the New York City Police, and et cetera, et cetera. So um, we filed several cases in New York, and we're getting ready for one that will be the uh, mother of all lawsuits coming soon, sometime in the first quarter of this year. This will get international attention when we do it. Um, we are getting ready to file something in Massachusetts. Can't tell you what that is yet. We filed in Maine, Kentucky, Hawaii. We have two cases in Hawaii. Um, uh, let me see, where else have we filed? I'm sure I missed Alaska. Uh, so we've been, we've been very, very busy and um, we're getting ready to do some things in Washington state. What I found interesting is that with the exception of New York, it's taken a while to get people in these very horrible states, blue, blue, horrible states to come around, but they're starting to now, they're starting to figure out this is not gonna go away. So you better get busy and help it go away or you're gonna live like this for the rest of your life. So um, as we're speaking in less than two weeks, the emergency use authorization for uh, the drugs, the vaccines and all the other craziness that's being legitimized expires. Mm -hmm. So um, obviously we've also have a, the new epidemic of Omicron, which is likely much, not much more than a common cold. And uh, as we're speaking, there was one reported death of Omicron in the United States. And when an investigative journalist contacted the public health or coroner in that uh, area where the person died, they confirmed that the person died with Mm -hmm. Omicron, not from Omicron. Yet there were dozens and dozens and dozens of media reports claiming and screaming that the, a person died from Omicron. Mm -hmm. It's just crazy. So it seems to me this is their new fear strategy to provide the justification for continuation of the emergency use authorization. And I'm wondering if you have any uh, comments and views on that. Well, you know, one of the things I've, I've seen recently is they don't seem to require any justification for anything. They just do what they want. We've, mm -hmm. we've degenerated to living in a completely lawless society where people get up every morning and decide what they're going to do, much the way that uh, communist leaders and totalitarian dictators um, I mean, our government resembles more the government of China or North Korea than it does what we used to have. So I don't think that they really need to justify the EU, uh, the, the uh, emergency use authorization. If they decide they're going to do it, they'll just do it. And they, they stop giving reasons. And to that point, um, I thought it was very interesting when uh, Rochelle Walensky, Walensky, the um, head of the CDC, said, we're going to cut the quarantine uh, back to five days because that's about all we can get people to do. So in other words, our new policy is as much um, tyranny as the public will swallow, all right? She also made a stunning admission that their research showed that the compliance with um, uh, quarantine was less than 30%. 
So um, that goes to what I've been saying all along, which is that the resistance is much bigger than most people realize. This is certainly what I'm experiencing building our organization. Um, they do a great job of making it look like everybody's on board, but everybody's not on board. And uh, I still contend that the vaccination rate is very, very low. I think that um, you think it's uh, under think 50, they can't even get to 60%. I don't think, you think it's is. under 50. What do you think it is? It, it, it was under 50 last summer. I was able to prove it with data, their data. In other mm -hmm. words, I went back, how I did this was I went back and the government's been very public about how many doses they bought. They've made the drug companies very rich. And then um, the states were very public about how much they threw away. They were trying to say, we've got to get these things sold or given to people because we're going to have to throw it away. And then there was also very public uh, donation to other countries. So if you if you added all that stuff up and it was a pretty uh, labor intensive thing to do, uh, the vaccination rate was under 50 percent. But let's face it, if they were really at 75 or 80 percent, which they claim, they wouldn't have to do all this mandate for 100 employees or more mandate for healthcare workers and the healthcare system wouldn't be devastated by people walking out and saying, I'm not getting the jab and Southwest Airlines wouldn't have said, just give us your exemption. We'll go with it. I mean, the vaccination rate has been exaggerated. The compliance rate has been exaggerated and it was all a mirage to try and get people to say, well, if everybody else is doing it, I'll do it too. And it must be okay. Cause at that point in time, last summer, people didn't know a lot of people who'd been injured or died. I think everybody knows somebody who's been injured or died from this now. Yeah, it seems to me one of the most egregious actions of this tyranny is to recommend the, the jabs for those who are five to 11 mm -hmm. because the FDA illegitimately uh, authorized that. Mm -hmm. uh, so what, what's your take on how many of that population, which I think is about 27 million kids in the United States. that fall Very few. Very few. And, I'll and a couple of things I'll say about that. First of all, uh, to my point about they don't even need a justification. I, um, I spent a lot of time like watching the videos and reading the transcripts and that sort of thing. Um, I reviewed what Pfizer's representative told the FDA during that hearing. And his, uh, the Pfizer's own data showed that um, that the risk of hospitalization or death in that age range was statistically zero and that um, there was no need for this vaccine at the time. So the FDA approved it anyway. And of course, when the drug companies and device makers give the FDA $2.6 billion a year, the approval rate's been 96%, I think, since uh, 2015. And I've always said, I'd like to see the 4% they're turning down. It must be like intravenous arsenic and they just can't bring themselves to approve it, right? So they approved this vaccine. So an interesting thing happened in uh, Los Angeles, the school system there, uh, mandated the vaccine for all kids going to the Los Angeles schools. And, um, and there were a couple of really horrifying stories where without parental permission, kids were vaccinated because they were promised a pizza or whatever. This is just criminal activity. But um, they were getting close to the deadline and there were 30,000 unvaccinated kids. And of course, this is another issue um, that's tangential to the COVID mess, but parents have been pulling their kids out of school like crazy um, since this all started back in 2020. 
And the, they were not even trying to hide what happened uh, when the Los Angeles school system uh, made the decision to not require the jab because they felt that those 30,000 kids would be withdrawn from school and the school system would essentially cease to exist at that point. Um, and this has happened in other places. Uh, even the New York Times covered a school in Brooklyn that had eight teachers with nobody to teach, classrooms empty, all right? So uh, this is, so that's, that's the level of resistance. So they'll tell you that X number of kids are getting the jab, but I'm sure that that's not true. And the best example I can tell you of how false the narrative is, and this is kind of funny and a little humor is good in the midst of all this disaster. So I live in Franklin County, Columbus, Ohio. There are 2 million people here. The mayor of Columbus issued a mask mandate back in the summertime, end of the summer, and uh, he asked all the suburbs to uh, go along with it. And, and because we share a community, got to be safe, right? Well, uh, many of the suburbs didn't. They did not impose a mask mandate. I live in Worthington, very woke area, and they have the mask mandate. Um, you can count on one hand the number of places that actually enforce this, but to give you an idea of what's going on, I had dinner at a restaurant that seats 400 people uh, a few weeks ago, and um, nobody had a mask on. The employees didn't, no customers. Uh, same thing, same size restaurant, a couple days later, uh, employees wearing masks, none of the customers, zero. People would come in the restaurant, take it off as soon as they saw all the other unmasked people. I have a grocery store about a mile from my house, I would say probably 35%, no masks, they never say anything to me going in. So why am I telling you this? Well, the front page of the, I call it the Columbus Disgrace, it's actually the Columbus <laughs> Dispatch, that's our newspaper, had a front page article, mass compliance in Franklin County is almost 100%. Now, the thing that makes it even funnier, because that's patently false, is a letter to the editor, um, like five pages into the newspaper, was from somebody who lives in a suburb that didn't mask, saying that all the unmasked people in Westerville were making him very nervous, and he didn't understand why the city of Westerville wasn't making everybody wear a mask, right? So, so that is the level of propaganda. Like, all you'd have to do is walk into a store a mile from your house and know that there is no compliance. And then the newspaper, obviously, that was a preprint sent to them a long time ago. At such and such a time, you're supposed to publish this. And it's just laughable. And so what you really have, what everybody, I think, needs to consider is that like, like every time something like this has happened in history, I mean, this is the biggest because it's global, it's not limited in geography, but every time something like this happens, the idea that is promoted is everybody knows this is true or everybody's doing it, everybody's complying. And what I'm telling you is that it's a mirage. The most visible people are the compliant ones. Like when you walk in someplace, you don't see the 10 unmasked people, you look at the sheep, right? And there are a lot in those people who appear to be sheep or a whole lot of people who just go along to get along, they're not buying it. So they may not be getting vaccinated in addition to wearing their mask to the hardware store. Interesting. So, so that is a good lead and a segue to uh, community which is, uh, to, in my view, one of the most important resources that can be uh, used to build up the resistance to people to help them understand what's going on and, and be a resource and support for each other. So you've made uh, some really great efforts in that, which is, seems to be a, uh, an outgrowth of your fundamental business you started 27 years ago. And so can you describe uh, what that looks like and, and how it's going? Yeah, so um, when we were getting ready to file a lawsuit, uh, our first lawsuit, 
I was looking around at all the things we were going to, this is how it started. I was looking around at all the things we were going to have to do. I mean, we're going to have to prove the fraud. We're going to have to go after the people who did it. Um, and, and it just keeps expanding. We're going to have to go after the wrongful deaths and all this kind of stuff. And so I was thinking to myself, how much is this going to cost? Because I've been involved in litigation before. And I, I thought maybe $100 million, $200 million, gosh, that's a lot of money. Well, it's not a lot of money if you gather up the 80 million people who don't think this is the right thing. And I estimated that that was the case. And by the way, that is the number the White House has used on numerous occasions. And they have actual access to a lot better intelligence than I do. So what number is 80 million? 80 million is the number, number of adults in this country who see things our way. OK, that's my and, and the White House uses that number, too, has on numerous occasions. So I know I don't know if they watch my videos. I'm pretty sure that they're not, and, and some of them wouldn't remember if they saw the video anyway. Well, that's a good thing. You want to be you want to be under the radar. Yeah, sure. well, I'm not, but um, I mean, I'm I'm living in a fortress because I'm not under the radar. But uh, but anyway, um, having said that, I thought, well, we'll just start gathering people. I've always been a lead by example kind of person. So we had the first meeting in my office last summer. And there were five people there, three of them were me and two people who I work with and then two guests. And so uh, we agreed to do it next week and those two people brought people and it just, um, something happened that I did not plan. I'm gonna be very honest about this. I'd love to tell you that I, that I preconceived all of this and then acted on it. But uh, people would come into the meeting and they would, be, they would have that shell-shocked look, like my church is closed, my neighbor's not speaking to me. Um, I'm realizing what's going on with my kids. It's ridiculous. Um, the organizations I used to uh, be involved with, they don't exist anymore. And so now they're starting to make friends, okay? And um, people who have their kids at home are starting to connect with each other and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and, I, and I had this um, epiphany one night. It's like, you know what? The number one thing these people don't want us to do is congregate, which means the most important thing for us to do is congregate. And so that was the beginning of building not only the body of people it would take to fund what we need to do, but what I call the Make Americans Free Again Parallel Society. And to tell you what that looks like a year and a half later, I have the oldest group, of course, because I started first, but we start a new group every three or four hours in the United States. I'm not kidding. They're all over all 50 states. And, um, and here's how many, what how many, gr how many groups do you have now? Oh, hundreds, if not a thousand by now, they're everywhere. Yeah, right. And um, and so here's the way this works, all right? It is a parallel society. So the first thing is everything you need, you find out from your group, all right? So um, people found out that there were churches that didn't close, and because none of this gets advertised, right? You try to stay under the radar screen. So churches that were not closed, um, you could go there, you didn't have to wear a mask. Uh, people found um, doctors, a dentist that didn't make you wear a mask, no temperature check. You could go get your hair cut if you scheduled an early appointment. You didn't have to have any of the nonsense. And um, if you drove to a different county, you could go to the Kroger store there and they didn't say anything about the masks and all that kind of thing. So, so we lived a parallel life. I would tell you that during the worst of everything in Ohio, um, our people lived a pretty normal life. We had a fundraiser with 400 people when the gathering limits were 10 because we knew where to do it because one of the members of our group owned a place where we could do it, right? So, so, um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that pe 14 people have found jobs in my group alone. People will say, um, I hired four 
and you know it, we do it is it is a very much cloistered society where we do business with one another we homeschool our kids together um, we pool our resources to fund these lawsuits we our social life is together um, we we did this program called small business rescue where we would uh, support businesses in our community I mean the government doesn't have any plan for these people so we we buy local we support so so it is a parallel society and um, uh, right now what's going on is um, we're finding doctors who are operating cash practices they don't report to anybody who do the early treatment stuff locally and also see patients just in a family practice type environment um, which i think we need to get back to i i think with few exceptions the practice of pediatrics has run its course and we need to get back to the family doctor who takes care of the family and of course there are always exceptions i know some exceptional pediatricians i just need to put that disclaimer in there but for the most part the profession has just become salespeople for the drug companies at this point in time in vaccines so um so everything you need you get from your your group we call them Thursday groups because mine meets on Thursday and it was the first one, but they can meet any day. And I, I can tell you right now, I can say this with a great deal of confidence. If I needed something, whatever it is, needed a place to live, if I didn't have any food, uh, if I needed money, if I needed medical care, if I needed a job, you know where I get that? My Thursday group, all right? Mm -hmm. And the Thursday group network. And um, and so um, and there's just this is what what is missing. If this had all been in place, they could never have done this to us, mm -hmm. right? They took advantage of the fact that society is quite fractured, uh, that um, that you don't have these local connections. And and people beat me up sometimes a little bit. Why won't you let people have Zoom meetings? Here's why: if mm -hmm. if we need to save a business in Worthington, Ohio. Somebody in Portland, Oregon can help us do that. You can't eat at this restaurant every week and support them. You can't, you can't go to this grocery, this small grocery store, whatever. It has to be local, 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 and it has to be in person. We have lost the art of congregating in person for reasons other than events. And I didn't realize that that's what happened to me. Most of my social life and my community connection was raising money for the dance company or attending a concert and all that stuff is great it doesn't exist anymore for a lot of us so we have to look for other things anyway but the amount of time i actually spent getting to know humans that live close to me was almost zero and now that's what i invest my social time on and that's why we take care of each other because we have those relationships. And so what started as we have to raise a lot of money to go after, to, to fund the lawsuits, we still do, that hasn't changed. But this turned into so much more that I never could have envisioned. And it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And I think most of our members who are congregating elsewhere would tell you it's the best thing that ever happened to them. Yeah, so, <laughs> so there's some uh, good that came out of the, uh the bad that we've been experiencing for sure. So congratulations. More good than you imagine. And I'll tell you what yeah, I, mean that, I think that's what we need. We really needed this type of uh, resource to address this because without it, we don't have community and community is one of the most essential resources we require to, to battle them. Well, and it goes even beyond that. You know, this COVID debacle has been mm -hmm. horrible for everybody. And uh, these people have to pay for what they did. But having said that, um, I think that that this backfired on them. In other words, controlling education, controlling people through healthcare, overreaching government, that's that, and, and controlling the media, that's how you do this, right? 
So what's happened in the last uh, 22 months? Well, it's mostly been good stuff for us. Mm-hmm. CNN has lost so much audience. I'll tell you some good news because people need mm-hmm. to hear good news because mm-hmm. they sit in their house sometimes if they don't belong to a Thursday group and they just think it's all awful, right? But um, people, CNN has lost so much audience that they I could afford to advertise on that station right now, which is kind of funny. You think about me and my company in Columbus, <laughs> Ohio, right? But the second thing is they're bringing conservative commentators on board. They took Steve Hayes, Jonah Goldberg, and Chris Wallace from Fox. Now, I don't know that they're the best that Fox has to offer, but they're certainly not going they're to go on CNN. pretty poor at best. Well, well, but they're not going to go on CNN and tout the virtues of all this lockdown in the Biden administration. They're clearly not. So CNN is the first to reach the conclusion that there aren't enough sheep out there to support mm-hmm. that network, all right? So, so that's good. The education system has been going in the wrong direction for a real long time. Mm-hmm. And I've heard about education reform since I've been a thinking adult. And mm-hmm. I haven't seen any education reform. It gets worse every year. Well, you know, the best thing that ever happened to education is parents pulling their kids out of school. And, and that's how you debilitate the education system and put the parents back in control at some point in time. Um, government needs to be reined in. And people have always disliked government. They despise the government now. They want less of it. More people want less government. And um, uh, in terms of the healthcare profession, it was due to collapse from it, the, the weight of its own ineptitude and uh, malfeasance, and it's collapsing. And uh, so I, I have great expectations for better things in the future. Um, now, that does not exonerate these people. It takes, it takes nothing away from the gravity of what they did, and we're still intent on making them pay for it. But I do think that this will turn out pretty well for us and pretty badly for them when it's all said and done. Yes, indeed. So I suspect that the exodus of the children from the conventional educational system is probably one of the best outcomes of this intervention, because that's where they instill the propaganda into the children and Mm -hmm. uh, create the new slaves for the next generation. So uh, what have you seen uh, at your local level and in the groups that you're noticing? Have you seen a radical increase in the number of parents who are homeschooling? Yeah. And um, and the help that you get when you're tied in with a Thursday group, you know, um, a good example would be a parent who has an adolescent, you know, kids want to be with their friends. Well, that's not what school is all about is be with your friends. You can be with friends without going to a certain building every day. Right. But aside from that, you get a teenager who's upset that she or he is not going to school. Well, you get that person, that child with other kids of the same age and the parents get together and the kids become friends. And um, and you start going about education differently um, because school, what, what a lot of parents are finding out, and I hear this from parents, not just in my own group, but all over the country, is that um, everything from the amount of time spent on school to the time of day when the kids are engaged in school to the methodology of learning is better when you get them out of school. And I'll give you an example. You're a doctor, so you know this. There are probably a thousand studies showing that adolescents should start school at 8.30 to 10 o'clock in the morning. But the way the system is set up, we get them out of bed in the middle of the night. And uh, and kids have been telling me for years, you know, I get to school on the bus and then I sleep on the hall floor until homeroom starts. I mean, this is ridiculous. So um, kids are doing much better. Like I have one mother say to me, this is kind of funny. She goes, you know, my, my teenager turned back into a person 
when we stop getting her up in the middle of the night. She like sits at the breakfast table and has conversation with my husband and I. And um, she's she completes sentences and paragraphs instead of just, you know, scowling at us on her way out the door. And so that's good. Another um, great thing that you hear often is that um, the flexibility that you have in tailoring education to your child um, is incredible. So um, in school, formal school, we have 50 minutes of this, and then we go on to 50 minutes of this. And, and uh, one example I can give you is um, this particular high school student was having a lot of trouble with, it was either algebra or geometry, I remember which, but um, the parent who'd had more experience with uh, homeschooling said, just forget about that for right now find out what subject your kid's interested in and then get her really exploring that and learning how to learn and getting to fall in love with learning. So it turned out that this, this kid was really interested in history and, um, and, and really voraciously was writing papers and researching and all this kind of stuff. And then when it came to the math, instead of doing it in the fall, they did it in the spring and, um, and the child uh, did an entire semester of math in like two weeks, just got online and did it, right? Confidence built up, I can do this, I can learn, um, that kind of thing. So, and then last but not least, another uh, piece of feedback I get from parents, particularly of middle and high school kids, is they're so much more self-directed. They're not sitting there and waiting for instructions. Okay, so get up and go to the next classroom. Now you get to eat. Like they're 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 initiating. Um, you know, parents are saying things like, "My my kid has developed an interest in something or other," and then went online and found a book about it and asked me to buy it for her. You know, that's a parent's dream is to have a kid want to read a book, right? You know, and uh, that sort of thing. So all in all. It, it amplifies the shortcomings even before you get to the fact that you know what's being taught in the schools the methodology of teaching is completely the antithesis of what kids need in order to become lifelong learners and to be able to critically think and to get up in the morning and figure out how to organize themselves without somebody saying do this eat this food sit down over here you know that's not that doesn't breed independence um, uh, in in kids Critical thinking skills are clearly not on the, the curriculum for conventional As schools. is evidenced by the people we watch in the community who don't have any right now. Yes. Adults, grown adults who have no critical thinking skills. Yeah, and that's not necessarily a result of their own ignorance. Um, a lot of it has to do with the effectiveness of the propaganda they've been fed over the last few years. It's been mm -hmm. exponentially improved with the advent of the technology and social media platforms. So... Uh, given all that, I'm wondering what your outlook is for 2022 as we emerge into this new year. Um, is it pessimistic? Is it optimistic? Uh, what, are, what are your projections? Um, I'm optimistic with a qualifier. Um, I always want people to understand that I understand the gravity of the situation. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you have a spouse in the hospital right now is being slaughtered with ventilators and remdesivir. Pam are they, st are they still using, I don't think they're still using ventilators. I think almost yeah, all they the, are. They are I just, really? got, got, just got an email oh this morning gosh. from somebody whose brother-in-law is on a ventilator. Yeah, I they're still doing it. It was, it was still doing it. well proven yeah. that they're just worse than useless. They kill people. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. So if you have a family member in the hospital in that situation, my rosy prognosis might, you might find that like nails on the chalkboard. So I do want people to know the reason I get up every morning, the reason I invest so much of my own money and my own time and my own resources, and I've risked my own life to do this is to make that right. All right. Mm -hmm. Having said that, when we, with that disclaimer, my outlook for this year is really positive and optimistic. And the reason I say that is we have a quantifiable enemy. We know what they're up to. Mm -hmm. I am watching them scramble and fail. There is mm -hmm. only one reason why they would be issuing all these edicts and everything else. And, and Mr. Biden would say something like, I'm losing patience with people and all that kind of stuff is because they're not getting their way. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the most, uh, um, the best example of that is the CDC walking back the recommendations on the quarantine because we just can't get people to do it. It's a stunning admission really to the public. Um, so I think this is going to be a year when this goes away. Even the Israeli government is saying, you know, we're going to make everybody get a fourth shot, but maybe we're just going to have to let everybody go out and mingle and get some herd immunity. And um, there is a, a an awakening of the government uh, that um, that they need to change course. Now, what they what they should have done, it wouldn't have worked, but it would have at least looked more intelligent. Is they should have last year started relaxing all the restrictions and and going back to normal, hoping that people like me would say, well, we all got our lives back, so no harm, no foul, we'll just mm -hmm. forget about it. I wouldn't have done that. But but at this point in time, it just seems very reactionary on their part. And I like an enemy that's on the defensive. It's gone from the offensive to the defensive. That means, and I'll give you another caveat, that there are probably more horrifying things in store as they mm -hmm. flail about and try to hang on to their power. A um, couple of things I'll, I'll uh, recommend. Scott Atlas was a speaker at our conference this last year, and um, he's the former advisor to President Trump. He wrote a book called A Plague on Our House. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a horrifying book, mainly because of the stupidity and ineptitude of the people like Fauci and Burks. Um, Atlas had told us that uh, um, Fauci can't even pronounce medical terms properly. And Burks doesn't understand statistics. Uh, most eighth graders have a better grasp of math than she does. So what people like that do is they flail about, just think about a dinosaur when it's dying, it doesn't just stand in the sand and melt into the ground. It flails and the, you know its tail knocks down entire cities. And you know so we're gonna see some of that kind of um, uh, behavior. But at the end of the day, this time next year, maybe we'll schedule another interview for now <laughs> for next year. And we'll recap. I think we will be in an entirely different situation. A lot of our freedoms will be restored. Um, a lot of the nonsense will go away. And then it just is a matter of spending the rest of our lives, just like we've done with the Nazis, tracking these people down and making them pay for what they did. And believe it or not, last fall, they were trying a hundred year old Nazi in Berlin for what he did. So it'll be the same thing. We'll be looking for him in South America and China and every place else to bring him to justice. So I, th I think it was Ben Franklin who said the price of freedom is eternal vigilance uh, because it's very clear that whatever entity uh, initiated this pandemic, uh, it, they're not going to stop here. I mean, they're going to want to continue. And I, I agree with many of your assertions that, you know, they've overreached and, mm -hmm. uh, and likely that overreaching, they're going to fail in a lot of areas. But what is your projection as to, so you think, you think we'll, we won't have any mandates eventually. 
and probably no vax passports, which is actually, you know, I mean, they're implementing them in several countries, mm-hmm. fortunately not the US, but uh, so what do you, what do you think the progress of that is going to be? I mean, what, what's the next step after this quiets down? Um, I think the next step for some people is just going to be to go back to their lives. I understand that. No, the next step for the, the, the global for the criminals. Yeah. Oh, for the world. Um, well, I do think that it's, there's going to be a period of reawakening for some people. In other words, the, the, the folks that are going to come out of the woodwork, in my opinion, they are a little bit now, but it will accelerate is uh, I call them the bystanders, right? So um, so here's what this looks like. So when this all started, within a short period of time, we had three groups of people. One is the sheep, and we know that was about 30% by my estimation. Then about 30% of us who have understood from almost the beginning what's going on. And then you've got these people in the middle and mm-hmm. um, they're, they, have sh- they have different characteristics. Like some people... Uh, believed it in the beginning, and then they they quickly recognized the inconsistencies and that sort of thing. Some people um, uh, who they they go along to get along. They're not rabble rousers. They don't want to take big risks with the people they know and that kind of thing. But but those people will have an awakening and start to wake up, and it will make it very difficult for them for the criminals to do this again. In other words, once everything is open and, and more discussion about this and and the media will start reporting on it. This is a, an important prediction to watch for because I said that the media was going to crash and burn and that all these people would start turning on each other. This is something to watch for because they'll want to save themselves. And so um, I'll tell you a little bit about what that looks like. And it, and it goes to how a lot of people will start to wake up and realize what the, the gravity of what's going on and how, how deep it was. Like a lot of people in Germany didn't know how, how what the concentration camps were like mm-hmm. because Hitler had a great propaganda campaign, right? So um, so how, how this will, will play out um, is we get, uh, let, let's say in one of our lawsuits, uh, we get discovery. Okay, so everybody's going to point to somebody above them who made them do it, because um, if you look at when the mafia families are prosecuted, there's always somebody lower level who turns in somebody above them and somebody above them, because um, people don't want to have a life prison sentence. So maybe if I help you get the other guys, you'll be nice to me kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So you're going to see a lot of that going on. Um, The media will have to cover it. They won't be able to resist covering it. In other words, if somebody actually implicates Fauci, and we intend to work hard to do it, mm-hmm. do you think these people whose ratings are in the tank are not going to cover it? My God, they'll have to. And there's and like I said, CNN is the first one, the first uh, crack in the um, uh, of, of all of them to open the door to we're going to have to have some other kind of programming because there just aren't enough people who want to watch our propaganda anymore. So, um, so those are some things that I think we can watch for. And I think the great wild card in terms of awareness is going to be um, uh, Trump's media company. And I know that's a negative word to bring up, but it's but we have to watch it. This is a rich guy who has started a media company, a social media company, which he's going to bring live next month. It'll aggregate tens of millions of people, which will make it harder for the criminals to separate us all. But uh, the interesting thing about that media company, from my perspective, is that um, it is designed, it is set up as an acquisition company. In other words, you could just, I could set up a company and say, I'm going to start a social media platform. And that's, it's easier to do, actually, than what he did. But his is specifically 
um, set up to buy other properties. And I think we should watch carefully at what he's going to buy because uh, wouldn't it be interesting to see the other side control the narrative, <laughs> turn the tables on them a little bit. Yeah. So those are some things that I think we watch for. And uh, and I think that um, where I am with this, and again, I don't want to sound capricious because I know there are people who are suffering, but I'm at that place where I think this is the most interesting time to be alive um, in the history of civilization. I don't think I would have wanted to miss it. And every day I get up anxious to see what comes next. Um, and so uh, that's a whole lot different than every day in 2020. I would wake up and think, oh, my gosh, another day. What, what's, what's next? You know, sort of a different attitude about it. Yeah, a lot of the social media platforms uh, less than a week ago as we're recording this. Robert Malone was kicked off of Twitter, and I think McCullough was kicked off earlier. So the, you have two of the most brilliant physician scientists in the entire world, their voice is suppressed. So uh, Malone was just on Rogan and uh, was able to announce that he's on an alternate uh, Twitter platform called Getter, G-E-T-T-R. Mm -hmm. And then Rogan just this morning or last night or yesterday announced that he's, he's also on Getter and he got like 8 million followers on Getter. Mm -hmm. So I think we're seeing movements in that direction already, which is good because it's mm -hmm. just, especially since Jack Dorsey left Twitter. I mean, they just, they weren't great before, but they just accelerated exponentially in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. I follow legal cases that are tangential. And one of them is a, an election fraud case in Massachusetts in which um, the, uh, the plaintiff managed to get a government employee in Massachusetts to reveal that uh, all the social media platforms uh, have provided the government, federal and state governments, with a phone number that uh, the state, the government officials can call to request that a post be taken down or a person be deplatformed. And um, and we saw that this was a very interesting thing happened in Ohio. Uh, that how how good they are at it. Uh, Tom Renz, our lead attorney, testified in front of a committee. I um, I think it was a House uh, committee. This was sometime last year. I lose track of the time because it all kind of runs together. But um, anyway, I think it was last spring. And so um, it, it was posted on social media, and uh, it was taken down several hours later. And when I went into, this was back when I was still posting everything on YouTube and had to stop doing that. I've gone to the alternative stations too um, and, and platforms. But um, at the same time that they did that, they took all of the videos in which I had mentioned Tom's name down from my site as well. So it was definitely a coordinated effort. Somebody in government here or wherever called and said, these people are dangerous. You got to sanitize your platforms of anything that would tell people about what's going on, because Tom uh, had filed that case and um, uh, that for, well, he's been involved with all of our litigation uh, in some way, shape or form. And what platform did they remove your videos from? Uh, uh, YouTube. Okay, YouTube. Yeah, that's, that's easy to do. That's but this was early. Almost this was, that is highly predictable. Oh yeah, but this was before that that that, uh, that that everybody knew about it, and I was still posting some pretty controversial stuff, which they were letting through. But uh, that was a good warning sign to uh, to diversify, which we did. And I probably have bigger audiences on the other platforms than I have on YouTube. Um, uh, so, but anyway, it was a coordinated effort, and it happened so quickly that you're somebody still on, you're still on YouTube. 
I am, and I'll tell you why, because people- They haven't, they haven't taken you down yet? I don't put anything controversial on there. Well, my we didn't is, either. But no, they, no, no, no. My, mes- my message is on YouTube, talk about um, Alzheimer's disease and diet, that sort of thing. They, they don't did care the about same that. thing, but what yeah. they did with Bobby Kennedy, one day we woke up and they said, oh, we created a new rule. Uh, anytime you've ever posted a video about anti-vax, you, you can be deplatformed. And that's what yeah. they did to both of us. And with no strikes, no strikes. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm sure they can do it. But the reason I'm still there right now is because um, I have a lot. Of, I tell people I have a lot of mouths to feed because um, I, I own a, a company that employs a lot of people. And I have to be very mindful of making sure that those people continue to be taken care of. They have endured an enormous amount of stress and extra work and um stress and stress and stress as a result of what I've done. And uh, I can't do it without them. So um, I, oh, I sure. have to make yeah. certain decisions. No, it's, uh, I mean, if you can leverage it and stay on, it's fine. It's just, it's just surprising that they didn't take you out already since you're yeah. such a voice out there. So um, I mean, they'll find, they'll make up an excuse to take you out. Yeah. You know, well, when so. it happens, it happens. We'll survive. So and I'm sure you will. So what are your recommendations for those who are interested in uh, developing their or identifying and locating a, a Thursday group close to them or starting their own? How would that, someone start? Well, you have to start your own. We can't hook you up with a group. And there are a mm-hmm. couple of reasons for it. I tell people all the time, the other side has billionaires and you all are stuck with me. And in order to make sure that all the money we raise goes to uh, the attorneys, um, I did finally have to put another person on the payroll. I subsidize half of this person's salary. But other than half of a person's salary and, and, um, uh, the, and, and the attorneys, all the rest of this is financed by me and my company. So we just don't have the ability to look up a zip code and send you over here and call somebody and arrange it. There's a liability issue too. A lot of these meetings are happening in people's houses. And I don't know about you, but if my meeting was in the house, I live here by myself. I don't think I want to answer the door and see some stranger standing and saying, can I come in? So we will teach you how to start your own group. It's easy. We provide everything you need. And um, so my email address is pampopper at msn.com. You can email me. I hold conference calls every week during which I share our entire strategy and um, uh, tell people how to get started working with us. And I also take questions from people who just want to get on the calls to say, to talk about their personal thing, like this is what's going on at my kid's school. What do you advise? That kind of stuff. So I have to do that in group because I can't do it all individually. Um, So that's what I would tell people. And then of course, um, uh, so get engaged with us, uh, donate money if you can, makeamericansfreeagain.com is the website. And, um, uh, and just do what you need to do to keep yourself in a positive frame of mind and starting a group and gathering a group of like-minded people is important. And I have to say, this is, I think this is an important thing to add. You know, my whole life outside of work went away and a lot of my work life went away. Former colleagues became enemies and all that sort of thing. Having said that, I own essential businesses. I own a food company. I own a school. I own a healthcare company. So we were open the whole time. You know, everybody's in the office every day. So it's not like I was deprived of people and locked up in my house and the whole nine yards. Having said that, I look forward to Thursday night, just like everybody else, because this has become, this has replaced the dance company. This has replaced the nonprofits I used to work with, the community stuff I used to be involved in. This has replaced all that. And so um, regardless of your situation, some people need this more than others, but even if you think you don't need it, you're gonna find out that it's the best thing you ever did. And and again, I tell people, 
The thing they work the hardest to keep us from doing is congregating. The thing that is the most important thing for us to do is congregate. That should send us a very clear message. So, and, um, and by the way, here's something to look forward to once we gather up all these people. And it's going to take time. It takes time to gather up and recover from this. But, but just think about the future. All right. And think about how great it would have been had we did this, had we done this before. You know, the government says everybody has to wear a mask. Well, when 80 million people refuse, it's over. The, the government doesn't have any ability to put 80 million people away. Um, if the government ever decides to declare another fake pandemic and close businesses, 80 million people who just show up at work every day, there's no police force in any city that has the capacity to deal with this level of dissent. And you can throw your weight around with um, businesses too. 80 million people who cut up their Costco cards and sent them in last year and or 2020, that would have been, it would have been the mass Nazi from the door would have been gone in a weekend because they just couldn't afford to, to continue that way. So, um, so I think what, what I'm saying to people is we can go from having felt quite powerless to being the most powerful people in the country if we're smart about it. And, um, and, uh, I, and I think we're people of integrity who would use that in a constructive rather than destructive way. You know, I want to lift people up. These people want to destroy everything in their sight, you know. Very good intention. So I'm um, just personal curiosity. Uh, I understand the uh, reason for not connecting pre-existing uh, groups, uh, both from a liability perspective and an administrative one. But um, what does it look like? Just what can you walk us through the process? So you, I mean, potentially you could have a you double the number of groups you have by the people who are watching this. Mm -hmm. uh, so a person would contact you and they would understand how to do that. And then that was assume that individual is responsible for connecting their network into this group. And then the, yeah. their network invites other people into we it. We tell them, listen, you start with one other person. People forget. Yeah. I'm leading a group with you know hundreds of thousands of people. It started with two guests. Okay, mm -hmm. so so you just start with with somebody who sees things the way you do. We give you a meeting format. We have training programs for our meeting leaders. We have meeting leader conference calls uh, every other week. Um, we have a meeting leader coordinator in the office. That's the person I hired. Uh, I, I pay half the salary. Make Americans free pays the other half. Um, we, uh, we send out every Thursday, we send out the update, what the agenda is going to be. Here's the video you're going to show. So you don't have to, nobody has to spend all day researching. What am I going to talk about with everything? You know, the legal update, the video you're going to show the whole nine yards is, and we follow the same agenda every week. So we make it as easy as possible. And, um, uh, and, and that's just how you start. And, and most people, you know, and, and I'll tell you this, I heard a lot from people when this all began. I don't know anybody and it's too hard and it's outside of my mm -hmm. comfort zone. The longer this has gone on, the more people have said, what's going on is so far outside of my comfort zone that starting this group seems like it's easy by comparison, right? So mm -hmm. I promise you, if you do this, we'll support you in every way possible. And you can't mess it up if you just follow our format. And by sure. the way, one of the things that I think has made our groups grow like wildfire and that sort of thing is we are, uh, I use a word that people don't like to hear so much in America today. It's called discipline. 
we're real disciplined about what we do, what we talk about. And um, I think one of the reasons why a lot of groups, um, they, they grew in terms of number, but they really didn't grow in terms of efficacy, all right? I think one of the reasons we've been effective and grown both at the same time is that we basically said, look, and I, I, we say this at the beginning of every meeting, all right? Here is what we're about. We're against medical tyranny. We think that adults should have control over what they put in their bodies. And by extension, they should control that for their minor children. And yes, for a show of hands, everybody's on board. And then we say, we think that it's important to congregate for the reasons I stated earlier, everybody's on board. We think it's important to save our local businesses. Everybody's on board. We think it's important to help parents get their kids out of school and hook them up with each other so that they don't have to do it all by themselves. Everybody's nodding their head. We think it's important to help people get jobs and connections in the community and help healthcare workers. Everybody's on board. Okay, we got everybody getting ready to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Now start talking about a candidate for political office and the room goes 50-50, no matter who it is, right? Mm -hmm. So we keep out of the meetings a lot of stuff that, that invites disagreement and we mm -hmm. focus on the things. If the political parties would get smart and do this, focus on five things that your side is for and get people to agree with that. Instead, they have 200 things they're going to do, no, nothing right. You can't get five people to agree on all of them, right? So this has been part of the secret sauce of how we've been able to do this is it's easy to grow a group when you limit what you're doing and what you're talking about to things that everybody agrees on. The other thing that we've done is we have a, a strategy that means we win at stuff. We don't take on things that don't result in winning. Um, I mean, I don't have any particular objection to them, but I haven't seen petitions and declarations solve this. The Great Barrington Declaration had a half million signatures and tens of thousands were doctors and well-respected health professionals. It did nothing. Great, great statement, but it doesn't change anything, right? Protests. The biggest protests in the world were in Germany and Australia. Take a look at over there. That doesn't change anything. Again, no objection to it. Protests are great for people to get together. But when you promise people that it's going to make a difference and it doesn't, it demoralizes them, right? Mm -hmm. We have people who are demoralized. They need to feel like they're winning. And when people come to our groups, what they see is winning. You save a business, you win. You get a kid out of school, you win. You raise money and file a lawsuit, you win. You know, winning is what we need for people to feel good about. Getting them involved in more stuff that results in failure, not so good. So we're real focused and disciplined on, on that issue too. Well, when Malone was on uh, Rogan's, he added a uh, epilogue to his, his, his uh, podcast with him, and they squeezed us in at the end. He was announced that he's having, he seems to be coordinating it, but up to a bunch of other people, I guess they got over half a million dollars invested in security for a march on Washington in the middle of January. So it would seem, I agree with your assessment. I've never been too interested or attracted to, to participate in those types of events. But one of the benefits could be that they could announce that one of the speakers is to join a group like yours, where they can do something positive mm -hmm. after they go home uh, from the freezing Washington in the middle of January and right. uh, get something done in a, in a real world platform. Right. Like I said, it's, it, it, you know, I think the problem is, you know, why are we in this mess right now? And, and, and this is just where we sometimes just have to take off the gloves and talk honestly about things, right? We're in this mess right now because for 50 years, we've been fighting medical tyranny and nothing we did worked. All right. Oh, so here we are. Right. So, so what have we been doing that works? Declarations and petitions and uh, preparing testimony to, to give to 
congressional committees and yeah yeah it, it just it doesn't <laughs> work and and in, in a perfect democracy the, the classic illustration of that was that it was almost perfunctory they had the uh, hearings for the fda before they approved the uh authorization of the uh back the do covid jab for the five to 11 years olds and the unbelievable testimonies and 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 it was unanimous vote against it, it right. you'd have to be absolutely irrational because they were all uh, had highly conflicted uh, and conflicts with the uh, pharma. Right, right. So, so, the, the, so anyway, what, one of the things that and I've watched this for for years, because uh, I've been involved in some kind of controversy since I opened my doors 27 years ago. So what happens is, and and this is this is the way it went. And I'm not being critical. We just have to be. We we just have to observe and learn. Because if we just keep doing the same thing over and over again, thinking it's going to be different. So a bunch of people get together and say, we have to attack this problem. Then they get lots and lots of people on their mailing list. And some of them live in Tanzania, so they can't help you much in Illinois if you live in Tanzania, right? So it goes back to that local, local thing. But anyway, then those people send letters, they send emails to their elected officials. I've sat in the offices of elected officials, by the way. And here's what emails do. They useless. Don't waste your time. The, the congressman or whoever will say, are we getting any emails on this? And the person says, yeah, we're getting some. Some could be 25 million. Some could be five. But you need pay. If you're going to do anything, paper mail takes up room, you know, and at least makes a statement. But um, so people write to their elected officials and and again, petitions, declarations, and protests, um, and then they prepare expert testimony, and and uh, you know, and, and then try to sit down one on one with these people and convince them, and then nothing, none of that happens. No, nothing changes. It gets worse instead of better. The best example of that was the hearing in California on the vaccine mandates, where it went on till the middle of the next morning. Uh, Fifty-three people walked up to the microphone and said they were for the mandate, and fourteen hundred and ninety-six walked up to the microphone one at a time and said they were against it. They voted for it anyway. All right. And then you get the, theat the theatrical version of this today. Um, you do know that if you chase the school board members out of the building, they are still the school board members the next day. So you get to be an internet star for 15 minutes, but nothing has changed. All right. So here's my point in all of this. I'm not against doing anything. We live in a free country, supposedly. You want to protest, you want to sign something, whatever. What I am absolutely adamant about not doing is telling inexperienced people, if we show up downtown and protest, this is going to make them pay attention to us because it doesn't. All right. So so we just kind of just don't mention any of that stuff. I, if people do it, that's fine. But we focus on strategies where we have a chance to win. The other thing, too, that's very different about Make Americans Free Again is in the past, and I was guilty of this, you've got a handful of hard workers at the top of an organization, right? And everybody's donating money and getting emails waiting for the 12 people who run this thing to tell them that they fixed the problem for the 3 million members. That doesn't work. This problem, if it's going to get solved, is going to get solved because tens of millions of people say, you know what, I'm going to have to do something too. I can't sit at home and open my email and send $25 and hope that this is going to go away. Mm -hmm. And so that's baked into our DNA. Everybody works. I got a Thursday group, you got a Thursday group. I show up every week, you show up every week. It's it's actually duplicating um, behavior down through the ranks instead of over here are the people who support and over here are the worker bees. That's never worked and it's never gonna work. Well, I appreciate your focus on uh, pragmatic strategies and interventions to make a difference uh, based on the decades of uh, work you've done in the past. So. 
thanks for doing that. And uh, hopefully they'll make a difference. I really encourage anyone watching to consider joining your Thursday groups or starting your own Thursday group. And if they want to do that, can you repeat the process again? Sure. Send me an email at pamhopper at msn.com. <laughs> I actually do. We do look at all of our emails. Yep. The other thing too, and, and this is everybody's a little bit different in how they think about things, but I think one of the reasons that this dropped into my lap is because I had the infrastructure to deal with it. In other words, if I was a if I was at home by myself, I didn't have staff mm -hmm. and a building full of people and all that, I could have had great intentions, but no capacity to deal mm -hmm. with this. I have a building full of humans. We're open 12 hours a day. We have been doing business in all time zones all over the world for a long, long time. And so you can only do something like what I'm doing with a lot of help, right? And so I think that's why this dropped into my lap. And it's less about me sleeping less than it is that I have lots of people and lots of infrastructure. And, um, and so I think that's it's a God thing. I ended up with this thing because I was supposed to. All right. Well, that's a good spirit. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Uh, anything you. else you'd like to add before you leave? No, just thank you so much for having me. And um, let's plan to stay in closer contact now that we've made the introduction. All right. Sounds good. Well, hope, hopefully things continue to work out. And thanks for all you're doing to uh, bring a rapid resolution to this craziness. Thank you.